Welcome back to the Career Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Roger. And I'm Lizzie. As student career masters with the Balloon Center, we're here to break down your biggest questions about how to hack into your career as a Furman student. We'll guide you through the process of exploring and launching your career by interviewing career advisors, professors, Furman alumni, and even some students. This week, we have Dr. Franklin Ellis, the Associate Dean and Director of the Center for Inclusive Communities and Special Assistant to the President for Diversity and Belonging, here to talk about finding an inclusive workplace. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Ellis. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And call me Franklin, it's my name. It has done me very well in my life. (laughs) Okay. Um, you know, doctor is my title, as well as the other ones that were read. And <laughs> I also have to give a shout out as being, um, I'm part of the Shared Equity Leadership Team, and that's made up of myself, mm-hmm. Dr. Cynthia King, Dr. Lisa Knight, and Robin Andrews, who I affectionately call Dr. Robin, because she is a doctor in life. <laughs> so just to kind of start right off the bat, you kind of already did introduce yourself a little bit, but can you go more into depth about what being the Associate Dean and Director of the Center for Inclusive Communities and all of those other titles <laughs> really means and like what your role is here on campus. Um, I think usually what I tell people is what my role is, is I assist people in being better people by being better to people, right? Mm, yeah. And so I would say as the Associate Dean and Director for the Center for Inclusive Communities, we are responsible for, I would say, the majority, if not all things, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, even mattering-based for students on campus. Right? Um, uh, our objective is to support students of inter- institutionally marginalized identity, so that is students who um, you know, identify, um, or we would say, underrepresented or marginalized. Um, and I would also say that support goes into with our international students, but it's also educating students who are not that, right? Um, when we think about uh, like oppressive systems or when we think about just belonging, that affects all of us. And so my job is really, how do we build an inclusive community and how do we teach people the skill set to do that and to navigate that? I think to them just in awe of the things that you're saying and I'm just like listening. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the word inclusive communities because since the topic of our podcast is finding an inclusive workplace Mm -hmm. and with that being said I just want to know what challenges do you face in the workplace in terms of like trying to find an inclusive community or what challenges have you faced previously yeah oh y'all got deep real quick like there was no warm-up like what's your favorite color it was just like so but what's your favorite color? <laughs> My favorite color? Oh, pink. Definitely. Like, oh, any true. shade of pink, you will see me. I love it. And let's be all colors, because I look fabulous in them if you've seen me across campus. I actually have. I'm always like, oh my gosh. <laughs> the outfits are always so good. Thank You know, thank you. You're so welcome. I would say that was a barrier at first, mm-hmm. right? Is a um, In my culture, we dress flashy, right? Like... If you go to um, church on a Sunday down south, you will see it. Steve Harvey suits all day long, right? (laughs) And then you, you know, my grandmother was a dresser. And so she would just, she'd have the like dress suit with the hat that goes Mm. every which way and the purse that matched. And so that's what we grew up in. And um, for a while, I didn't dress in that because when I thought of like professional wear, and we all know that that is a very loaded word, professional and I try to get away from professional wear. I say, what's presentable wear? What is presentable for my job and my position for me to do it, right? 
and I want to look good in doing it. Uh, the challenge was, how do I authentically be myself and show up like that in positions and, and in places? And would it be acceptable? In some mm-hmm. places it was not, right? But what's interesting is, as we move up, we can get away with that, right? Um, mm-hmm. As I now have doctor in my name, right? And my, my title, doctor, allows me certain liberties to do so, right? Um, sad, but true. Yeah. I'd say that was a challenge. Um, I think another challenge in finding an inclusive workplace uh you know, I'm maybe slightly aged, maybe seasoned, <laughs> just a little bit. Somewhere between 25 and death and closer to death. You're welcome. Right? But in that, um, being out wasn't necessarily the easiest thing either. And so how did you navigate that? And that was a challenge. And, you know, before they had laws that protected that, um, I could be fired, essentially, mm-hmm. for being out. Right? I would say that was a challenge. I think those are challenges. And then it is, yes, we ask people to bring their authentic selves, but do we really mean that? Mm -hmm. And a challenge was for me to find that balance in how do I make my authentic self presentable for the workspace that I'm in and learning time, place, and manner. And having to like delve through, am I feeding into oppressive systems by doing that? Am I code switching? Am I masking? Things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of self-work that went into it. Yeah, and just based off of when you said, like, that some companies make or some workplaces may appear that they are being inclusive, um, but they might not actually be, that kind of raises the question of how, is there a way to know if a company's, like, DEI statement or what they say is, like, truly genuine and mm-hmm. in, in practice and what they do? So, like, how could... What are some maybe some things to look out for when you're trying to find an inclusive workplace, and how do you know that that DEI statement is actually genuine? So I think one of the things you do is let's look at the diversity statement. Do they even have one? Mm-hmm. And then what is the statement saying? Oftentimes we will put statements out there that have really pretty words but make no sense at all. Like you'd be like, what does that mean? For sure. Because right? <laughs> if it is a real diversity statement, then it's written in such a way that anyone who reads it, no matter like class, um, no matter level of, of education, things of that nature, that we have an understanding of it. I'd say that's number one. I think number two is, what op- look at their website. What do you see? Who's presented on the website? Who's in leadership? <laughs> right? That will tell you a lot. Uh, when you interview, an interview goes both ways. Ask those questions, and especially if there are people of institutionally marginalized identity, and usually we would say, like, we know that by if it's a person of color or not, things of that nature, right? Um, do they speak openly? Like, is it someone who is openly LGBTQI speaking on it? Is it someone who has a disability, be that um, physical, mental, or emotional, right? Speaking to that and how they they um, experience the culture and the climate there. Watch people's facial expressions. Mm-hmm. What I will tell you is there have been a lot of interviews I have been on, especially with other black folks, and I'll ask a question and they would be like, <laughs> right? If you get that side-eyed sorceress, you'd be like, oh, okay, I got you, right? Um, those are the important things. And then I would let, what are the questions they are asking you? Do any of their questions have anything to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion at all? And if not, then we know that's not a priority for that. Mm-hmm. You spoke about DEI. So for me, it's like, what does that mean to you as a person who works in the Center for Inclusive Communities? Mm. That's another good, deep question. (laughs) What does that mean? Um, 
means a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. I think it means that we are able to show up as our full self as long as we are respecting other people in their full self. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, for me, it means inclusion is not this utopia, and I think a lot of people think that's that's what it means. Like, right. yeah, yeah, it's all harmony. It is not. There is tension, right? There is disagreement. It can be unharmonious. But what it means is how we engage with each other through that tension. Um, how we choose to navigate around people and having that choice. Um, it means disagreement doesn't equal disapproval. You'll hear me say that a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but you have a right to exist. You have a right to your beliefs. Um, but you also have a right to express them in a way that is healthy, responsible, right? And you are accountable to it. That does not elicit harm or I would say violence to someone. Because yes, we do know our words can hurt, but I say specific violence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can't do that. Um, I think it means having access to be the greatest you can be in any way that you deem necessary for that. Um, so you have kind of spoken on how like accepting someone as their full self and not expecting them to change can create an inclusive workspace. But are th is there anything else specifically that a colleague can do to, like you as a colleague, can do to ensure that you are making um, the workplace inclusive and not? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is being aware of yourself and how you impact others. I think it's about educating yourself. We oftentimes want institutionally marginalized identities to tell us how to navigate, and that's not on them to do. It's mm -hmm. up to me to educate myself, right? Like, if I want to know what it's like in this world to be a woman as a cis male, I'm going to read and educate myself first, and then maybe introduce dialogue with asking first, hey, so I read this. Are you, in, are, are, mm -hmm. How open are you to, to talking to me about this topic? Because you might not want to be. Right? Yeah. But I'm not asking you to educate me. I'm asking you to either reinforce my education, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah or to give me more information so right. I then know how to navigate mm -hmm. um, systems in a way that reduces harm folks. Um, I, I think for me that's the number one way of how you become more inclusive. I think it's also keeping an eye out for who's not in the room, and who's not mm -hmm. at the table, and who's not in the space, and being able to serve voice for them, making sure right that you have permission to do so though. Because oftentimes when we move from a space of doing something with a community, I mean, to a community or for a community versus with them, we also can do more harm, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to bring any more harm, but if I'm going to be advocating for folks, I want to make sure I'm advocating in a way that's going to benefit them most. Right. You talked about that in our pathways class. Look at that. Which, which pathways section was that? What class was it? I have no idea. I think it was also talking about like fostering like Something about something about, about something an inclusive about, community yeah. as well, and like finding an inclusive workplace, and how to identify if a person has been marginalized as well, and those things that you have like those signs that you have to look out for. Well, for my pathways class, we really did not talk about this because we skipped this module. Oh, it's literally called inclusion in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it's just yeah, we were talking about how like. It's good to speak up for people and advocate for people, but you have to, like, make sure you're doing it in the right way and make sure that's what they actually want. Because other times, like, if you do it, if you do advocate for someone and they don't want to be advocated mm -hmm. for, it could come off as, like, mm -hmm. rude almost. 
Yeah. And it's self-serving. You're yeah. not doing yeah. it for the person. Yeah. You're doing it for yourself, right? Right. True. If you're not making sure that it's what they also mm-hmm. want. A great example of that, if I'm going to segue a little, a great example of that was The Prom. If you didn't watch it, it was actually really amazing. Shout out to the whole cast. Oh, yeah. Rachel. Oh, yeah. Good theater. Yeah. Yeah. theater. Listen, they, they, when I say I had to call 911 because they murdered it, I was like, <laughs> they did. Bad. Y'all did they that. They did. Um, but if you take that whole musical, right, that's all about two people who think they're doing something great and advocating. Yeah. And they're doing it in such a wrong way that's even causing more harm mm-hmm. like, to the community that they're, they're looking to serve. So it's a great example. Oh, yeah. I think using these examples as well just. I don't know. We had one where we had to like figure out how to help someone. I don't know. Did you not have that? Yeah, I think we did. It was like, I don't know. A few of the examples were like, there's um, somebody in a board or there's like a board meeting or something. And like a woman says something and it gets kind of just like passed over. And Mm -hmm. then the man, a man says the exact same thing. And everybody was like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. And then, like, another person is like, well, she just said that. And my pathways professor is um, a woman in the politics department. And so she was like, this happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. Micro inequity. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, I think of the example of there was a time where if you hear someone asking, like, your Hispanic coworker, like, where are yes, you from? Yes, where are you from? Yeah, that, that that one. Yeah. But then it raised the question of how do you know if it's genuine before, like, intervening, you know? For example, mm-hmm. someone could just be, like, generally, like, asking, like, oh, um, where are you from? Like, they couldn't be asking in the sense of, like, I know you should What's not your, be like, here yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. I don't know. How how would you like navigate that? Yeah, as like a like, bystander, tough situations <laughs> like that with like standing up for somebody, but also like, what if it's like not? I think body language tells us a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, uh, what your what your mouth won't tell, your body will. Body language will say a lot to you, and I think it's paying attention to the other person who's on the receiving end, right? What mm-hmm. is their facial expression saying? What is their body language? Are they moving away from it? Are they moving in? Are they looking like annoyed? Things of that nature. And I think that will tell you a lot to whether you need to intervene. And for me, it's kind of like to step around and be like, <laughs> right? <laughs> the head nod. Yeah. <laughs> you good? And most people know the you good yeah. look and will be like, yeah, fine. Oh, okay. No, right. Um, and, and so I think that's a way of intervening, too, because maybe they, they can handle it. And maybe they're okay with the question. And mm-hmm. um, and that's also always a very interesting question. Right? Um, where are you from? Jim and I would say, first, I'm like, can I ask you a personal question? And usually I'm like, is that, that's okay. Invite myself. I'm just really wondering, like, what, what's your, your ethnic background or your, your mm-hmm. um, cultural background or what is your um, nation of origin, right, your nationality? That will often give you where someone is from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I just ask, so, um, depending on the place I'm at, are you from South Carolina? Most people are like, no, I'm actually from, oh, that's so cool. It's also another way of getting around that. Mm-hmm. How does Furman and the CIC kind of promote a way or like show students how to foster these inclusive communities? If we look at the Furman Advantage, the Furman Advantage, what's so powerful about that is it really does give us the skill set or all of you the skill set that prepares you to go out into the workforce. And um, a lot of intention on the modules within Pathways, uh, 
there's been a lot of attention put on how the, the modules and pathways have been uh, created. Right? And some of that is we put DEI stuff, inclusion in the workplace, mm-hmm. right? Safe versus uncomfortable. Right. The um, social identity wheel. Like all of that are ways to help us explore ourselves and how we show up in the world and how we affect others and how other, others affect us. And so um, I believe what that prepares is that the CIC, like we give you the skill set like in a group dialogue. Yeah. Um, showing you how do we communicate across difference that's even a module itself because that's important when you go into the workforce you are going to encounter people who are very different from you all sorts of diversity and not just in the way we see it as um, social identity but also in thought right there's diversity in thought and perspective and ideology that you're going to encounter and so that we give you the skill sets on how do we encounter especially if it's something we don't agree with Mm-hmm. right um, how do we know what our own triggers are like what comes up for us based off of other people's identities how do we know our own biases and be aware of that yeah. and how do we also take feedback when somebody says we've done something right? whether we want mm-hmm. to or not and so that is what the CIC is there for and we also allow you to um, engage with other cultures so you have a global perspective of the world I would say um, Furman itself outside of Pathways also is doing the On Discourse, which was headed by Dr. Cynthia King and Dr. Brent Nelson. And I think they've done a really good job of bringing the forefront of um, how do we have healthy, responsible discourse, right? Um, when we don't agree, how do we engage with that? How do we engage with different perspectives and ideologies? So I think that's how we prepare you for the workforce. Mm-hmm. Speaking of engaging with different ideas and perspectives and identities as well, first years who don't know about Din's dialogue and how to voice their opinions and talk about things on campus that should be, that are intercultural, but they want to know about things. So uh, looking at that, how do you think Furman students can get more involved with it? Because I'm not sure if it's something that's mostly advertised because Lizzie doesn't know about it and she's a <laughs> sophomore well, at Furman. I mean, I've heard of it, but I don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I, I think a lot of us have to have what um, Dr. Robin Andrews, as I would say, Robin Andrews had, mm-hmm. calls humble inquiry, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know about it, but you don't know about it. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's that humble inquiry to say, look, let me go find out more. And so I think I would say that with anything and not just in dialogue. And when we talk about that, too, like the intergroup dialogue program itself, remember there's two halves of it. There's the academic part of it, um, which has classes that uh, mm. allow you to have different perspectives and, and talk about it from the academic viewpoint. And then there's the Jim's Dialogues program, where our dialogue fellows are students who run intergroup dialogues, where we pick a topic, and then you come in and you learn how to discuss around that topic. Mm. Right? Um, so I would say one of the things, if you would like to get involved in that, they are we do advertise them, but you can also request one. So you can go on the CIC website, and under our intergroup dialogue, you can request a dialogue. And um, Jocelyn Brewer-Bruce, who is the Assistant Director for the Center of Inclusive Communities, shout out, um, mm-hmm. does an amazing job of coordinating all of that. Yeah. Um, or you can just find one of our DINS fellows and talk to them about the experience. Uh, so what I'd say is if you haven't done one, I think you should have the experience before you leave here. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing when we give ourselves the freedom to talk about things that we deem as being taboo when mm-hmm. they really aren't. So mm-hmm. I think what it does is it demystifies a lot of that stuff, and you'd be surprised 
the conversations and how you can engage and how you grow as an individual when you allow yourself that freedom. I know we've talked about pathways quite a bit. Um, so how can we take or how can students take what they're learning in pathways and maybe in other classes and kind of translate that into the real world and move beyond just talking about it and actually like implementing it and doing it? And pathways, I think it's great, but it's just like, it's not even really putting your toe in the water, right? We get 50 minutes, 55 minutes yeah. to do that. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do much. And I think what, it, what I would say is I would look at other classes outside of it, for instance, like in anthropology. I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Robinson. I'll oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Crosby, who is in politics and Africana studies. Um, I would say Dr. <laughs> Seed in religion. Um, like, I think they give you classes that expand that, or even Dr. Claire Whitlinger, who is over the academic side of the intergroup dialogue program, right? These are courses that give you that tangible, um, the, the tangible action of it. And what's hard about this work is, right, DEI work isn't head work. The mm -hmm. problem is we tend to intellectualize it. It's heart work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't want to do the heart work. And I can say this as well as I, I'm going to go ahead and parallel this with like going to therapy. Okay. Right. People go to, usually there's a status quo that we are okay and comfortable with. And when we drop below that, people go to therapy, not to get better. They get, they want to get to the status quo and they stop going versus getting better. Right. It's hard work. It's hard work. There's a lot of reflecting that has to go on in that. There's a lot of feelings that come up. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of shame, shame and guilt. And we all process this differently, right? Institutionally marginalized folks usually have to process this from a, a space of like resistance and resilience in this stuff that's in there, right? I think people of dominant identity usually process it through shame and guilt and nobody wants to feel those things. And so what we do is we intellectualize it. So when you're saying like the action of it, I can't get you to the action of it till you're willing to do the hard work enough, right? To, to get through all that hard work and then finally have a full understanding of how you affect others and then you can change your behaviors from there. But if you're not willing to do the hard work, you're not going to be able to do the action work. In several classes, and I think I took oh implicit bias mm -hmm. test in my sociology 101 class and that was specifically focused on race, but we've taken like a career and gender roles one and pathways. So do you have like any opinions on implicit bias tests and if they are worth taking to kind of like realize your implicit or like know that you have an implicit bias? That is like on the spotlight right there. Um, I think they do have value, but not on their own. Okay. Right. And again, you have to be in a space to want to do the hard work and know mm -hmm. it. So if you're just doing it because it's class and you have to do it, then you don't care what the results are. Right. right? And I think what they're there to do is be an aha moment for us mm -hmm. or what we talk about, like the cycle of liberation. It is about having that, that entry point. Right. And so I think they can serve as an entry point, but it depends on how open you are, how ready you are. For anybody to, to change in this world, we have to have three things. We have to be willing, ready, and able, right? Mm. And so if you're willing, ready, and able, and you are open, and you take that, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize I had bias like that. I want to learn more. Mm -hmm. I think it is excellent and great. 
I think when we do this work and it's just put on us, people get more resistant to it. And so then it's just another thing like, huh. Um, so I think it can be helpful, but I think it's the space that the person is in. We could just do like general advice <laughs> for... Mm, yeah, general advice. I always work from three principles, four principles. I can't count today. Four principles I work from, right? And the first one is there's no growth and comfort and no comfort and growth. Right? We have to be able to partner with discomfort and we have to lean into the discomfort in order to grow. If you think about the times in your life where you have really grown the most, it's when you were the most uncomfortable. Even think about how our bodies go through puberty. There is aches and pains, and then there is growth at the end. Mm -hmm. The other one is disagreement does not equal disapproval. If we don't agree with someone's ideologies, beliefs, actions, as long as they aren't harming someone, if you don't agree with it, you don't have to condemn them for it. All that simply means is you don't have to do it in your life, right? I don't like my fruit touching anything. I will not eat fruit if it touches anything, even other fruit, right? And so in that, that's how I don't like my fruit, right? But you might like your fruit mixing. I just don't have to I do it. I actually love my fruit and yogurt. Yeah, nope. See, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> not going to eat it. Do you eat fruit? This is really off, off topic. topic. But it's on topic. Do you eat fruit, like, baked? No. Who does that? Ban like banana bread? Like, oh, baked into things, like a muffin. No. Mm-mm. Oh. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. Won't do it. You're like my sister. She doesn't eat things with chunks in it. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. That is so funny. But, but, but I say that to say, if you like your, your fruit and your yogurt, I don't. I may disagree with you about it, but I don't have to condemn you for it. I just simply don't have to eat it that way, and we can still go along in our lives, right? Right. Um, the other one is none of us are better than all of us. Mm -hmm. None of us are better than all of us. And so when we talk about, like, actions of liberation and the ways in which we navigate this world and, and reducing the amount of harm that people have to experience, it takes all of us working together to do that. And none of us are better than all of us. Mm. Um, and so we have to come from a communal understanding of how we impact the world. Uh, and the last one is we have to hold the concept of both and. And this is really difficult because we have to hold two massive things in one small space. Mm -hmm. That we are individually unique and the same, all happening simultaneously. Yeah. Right? Like we are the same within our humanity, but we are different in our needs and our wants mm -hmm. and our identities and how we navigate the world. And I have to give honor and respect to both things. Well, there you have it, folks. You're welcome. She does what she can. <laughs> and if you really enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to... Um, I'm teaching Psych 111 in the spring. Wait, you are? I am. Okay, I'm taking Tuesday Psych 111 now. From 4 to 5. I'm 15. sorry. Hey, I'm, I'm ditching not. econ. Psychology is the best. No, I'm just kidding. Psychology is the best. Thank you very much. Just like you Okay. That's like... That's it. No more econ for me. <laughs> Yeah, I be a psych major. That. Psych's way more fun. <laughs> but it's intro to psych. But it's going to be fun because I'm teaching it. That, I, ugh, <laughs> it. I wanted to. I, yeah, but I have this fear of teaching like Furman students. Y'all are like brilliantly smart. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. That's What's the great? I'm going to lean into like? it. What's the what? How to get an A. Um, um, because I believe, I don't believe in um, focusing on the grade. You focus on the work and you get the grade. Exactly. And so when it comes to a lot of my grading, I like, get opportunity to redo things like papers and things like that because for me the process is in the learning it's not in yes I want to challenge your, your yeah. thought but right the first test you, you get it and you're like okay you take it the first time and you know where you're at and okay well let's correct it because it's not about this A 
we put too much emphasis on that. It's really about what is the learning and how are you coming out of it? My job as a, as, as a educator, and this is in DEI and in, in the classroom, like my job as an educator is to make you curious and to make you want to learn more and to show you how smart you are. It's not about to condemn you or judge you or not or, or, or put you down, right? Or make it so difficult that you fail. I want to see you succeed, and so I'm going to give you every opportunity to do so. Well, there you have it, folks. There's no growth in comfort or comfort in growth from Dr. Ellis. He said uh, Dr. Ellis, and then yeah. he looked at you. Force of like, habit. I'm sorry. Um, but from I, Franklin. Well, I would say, you know, it's interesting because of classism and doing this work and things of that nature and, and even racism. And I got my doctorate because I'm dyslexic. And in the first grade, I could not read the word helicopter. And my teacher said, what are you? Are you stupid? <gasps> and that stuck with our words are powerful, right? Like, this is why uh-huh. I do a lot of DEI work. And so in that, I carried it, and let's, when I went to the second grade, I was going to the third, and I held myself back because I wasn't ready to go because mm-hmm. I was dyslexic and couldn't read. Um, and I held that I was stupid my whole life, and I said, if I got a doctorate, I will not be stupid. And so I got my doctorate to prove to myself that I wasn't that, but also rooted in getting that, again, is a lot of class, a lot of, a lot of I dealt with a lot of challenges of being a person of color and a lot mm-hmm. of... Um, predominantly white spaces and a mm-hmm. lot of professors that I had in getting this um, treated me really poorly, right? And so it's difficult for me to use doctor because what it's also rooted in, I don't know mm-hmm. if I want to be aligned with that. Yeah. However, if I need to check you. <laughs> doctor. Doctor. Know whom you are speaking to. <laughs> And with that, thank you so much, Dr. Franklin Ellis. <laughs> oh, the whole government. Thank you for having me. I appreciate y'all. Well, this has been the Career Chronicles podcast. I'm Raja Bimkarman. And I'm Lizzie Miller. Our show is produced by Audrey Anghauser and is a part of the Malone Center for Career Engagement at Furman University. Join us every Monday for a new career topic. And don't forget to follow us so you never miss an episode. Talk, Talk to, to you soon. soon.